Welcome to another thought-provoking episode of the Surprise Multiplayer Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Ozzy Monroe. Today, along with one of my co-hosts, John, we take a deep dive into a topic that many find themselves stumbling over, the value of higher education in specific industries. We present distinctive perspectives and draw from our unique experiences and insights. We engage in a rich conversation about the role of formal education in the tech and cybersecurity fields, discuss the challenges introverts face in high-pressure jobs, and explore the concept of learning skills beyond the classroom. Settle in, as this episode promises to challenge traditional notions and shed light on new angles of viewing higher education. We can now be reached for feedback, suggestions, and questions at banterreviewcrew at surprisemultiplayer.com. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. All right. We're live. First of all, I think we should tell the audience that we're missing a, a key part of the trio here. Yes. One of our, one of our fearless co-hosts is, has decided to bow out for this one. Unfortunately, he's got some, he's recovering from the long break. Yeah. So it's going to be John and I tonight, the duo running solo. Yeah. I think we're going to have to, in order to fill Jeremy's shoes, Every so often, one of us is going to have to say that we violently disagree with someone, with the other person. And then, John, you're going to have to say, I'd like to argue with you, Ozzy, but. I'd like to argue with you, Ozzy, but I agree with you. Yes, exactly. Or, and I also have, I'm going to share that are watching. I have this beautiful thing that a family member got me. It's a nice whiskey decanter. Oh, wow. That's pretty slick, isn't it? That is nice. It's a little yeah. bit mean that you break that out when Jeremy's not here, but it's I nice. know. But Jeremy's the one carrying, making sure that there's a little bit of evening drinking going on. So I feel that I have to. My fucking luck! I'm going to drop this thing. Oh, don't do that! Don't do that! Go, that would hurt a little bit. There we go. Two fingers of that bad boy. All yeah. right. Nice. So let me ask this question. This topic tends to come up a lot with just a, a bunch of different people that I know. You know, you and I. When I say a lot, I mean over the years that I've known you, I've known Jeremy. I have two or three other very close friends, where former colleagues and, and current colleagues, where they they feel either like an imposter syndrome because they work with individuals, very smart individuals, but peers. And those peers either have an undergraduate or a graduate degree, maybe even a PhD in a particular, in computer science or security or some other type of engineering field. I'm going to do a little hot take here, but I can say that the majority of the smartest people I've ever worked with do not have a, a formal college education. Yeah, I we talked about this a little bit in one of the previous episodes and it's something that, that hits home with me because I didn't go to college. I graduated high school, went right into the Air Force. And then as soon as I got done with my four years in the Air Force, I started working in my current company. It's something that for those that didn't listen on the previous episode, it's something that I struggled with for many years, low self-esteem, as you said, imposter syndrome. 
I always, and it wasn't until my wife noticed this and brought it to my attention that I realized I was doing it, but I always shrunk myself around people that I knew were college educated and people that I assumed were college educated. And always thought of myself less. And it wasn't until my wife brought it to my attention that I started to think about it, process it and focus on it and got myself to a better place where I started to acknowledge my own achievements and accomplishments and started to gain a little bit more confidence. But it is something that a lot of people I think struggle with. And to your point, I know a lot of colleagues and coworkers throughout the years, even ones that I assumed were college educated and I held them in very high regard and came to find out later that they had never gone to college either. And that really helped me in my sort of processing and, and getting over that hump. But it's a real struggle. It's something that I think, especially in this country, we set this high bar, we set this standard and everything has to fit neatly within this box. Even if you look at individuals that go to school and you have some individuals that are not maybe good in math, but math is a requirement throughout all of your lower education. And when you get to higher education, you have to do a certain a year or two or fulfill certain, certain math requirements. And there are people that struggle with math or other topics. And you're meant to feel like you're lesser than someone else because you're not doing well in a particular topic or you have to do well to graduate and get your degree. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit of the system. It's a little bit of the imposter syndrome, like you said, and everybody dealing with their own sort of individual demons or issues that they go through. I did the traditional route of, of going to under undergraduate degree. And I did, I did a few years of my master's. I actually did at the end of my undergraduate degree. I did concurrently. I was able to take masters as well, but there was a point at, at the beginning of my education. So I had an opportunity at my high school to take the, my, my the end of my junior year and my senior year at a vocational school. In, in the county and the vocational school, Ocean County Vocational Technical School, OCVTS, had a computer science program. And they actually were, at the time, I, I think, were very uh, forward thinking and they were training people to, to build websites to IT professionals, both in the software development space and in the traditional information technology and services space. And the end results for some of that program was the, the typical certifications that you would get being an IT technician or, uh, or as a software developer, they, they had a, a program where they presented like a certificate that said, Hey, this person went through level one, level two of building websites, or in some cases, desktop applications. And there was a point in my, so I started very young at writing software. And when I graduated college, I, I had an opportunity to take a full-time job and it would have paid re relatively well. And the only thing that stopped me was honest. The honest truth is that I, I had an opportunity while I was in that Ocean County Vocational Technical School to teach others, the people around me. I knew a lot more than some of the folks, my, the co-students of mine, the cohort. And I taught and 
when I talked to my mentor, his name is Michael Clark. He's awesome, awesome guy. He was the teacher, but he told me, and I brought this up with him and he told me, listen, he's like, if you really like teaching, if you, if that is something you want to do. And, and I knew that I did not want to do it at a, a high school or intermediate school level. I wanted to teach college. I like that. I like people that at least had a little bit of skin in the game. Yeah. 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 Um, he told me that, listen, you have to go to, yeah, you're going to have to go to college. And I chose the route of community college to save money, but also to leave the option open if I decided maybe computer science was not what I wanted to do. So I dual majored in business and eventually went to a state school and got my uh, undergraduate degree. And the whole time, even w what's interesting, the whole time, computer science is a very theoretical field, at least I'm sure it still is. But when I was doing my education, it's very theoretical. It's not applied. It's not practical. Or it doesn't have practical very few practical courses that you could take until you get to your senior year. That At that point, you generally have internships and other opportunities to do more applied things, research maybe. Until I got to that point, my sophomore, junior year, I had imposter syndrome because I was not good at the theoretical aspects. Uh, I was not good at the linear algebra, discrete mathematics, calculus. I could do it, if, but like, for some reason in my brain, that did not work. But what I could do better than every single other person was I could write software. And I understood how the systems worked. I could build integrations and I could build things faster than even the teachers in some cases. And I ended up doing research with an NSF grants like as a sophomore, which was paid to do that. And I don't I know that our industry in particular, we self-select people with college backgrounds, right? That, that's usually part of the filter that it, an HR organization provides for degrees. And I, I think it, we definitely, it, it, I feel that maybe it's changing over the last five to 10 years, especially since I've been in a position to be a hiring manager. I've hired countless number of people that do not have college degrees. In fact, I don't even look at that as something on a resume or on LinkedIn anymore. I look at their experience. I look at what they've done. Uh, I look at if they've spoken, if they've written about what they've done, if there are other people who recommend them, if I have a link to them from a connections point of view. The last thing I do is actually look at their their education. And if I do look at their education, and this there might be some shade thrown my way, if it's from any of the major computer science schools, I generally throw the resume out because all of my experiences, a lot of those folks are pretentious assholes and I don't want to work with them. Yeah. So I want to tease apart a couple of things you said, because there's some juicy tidbits in there that I was thinking about when we were leading up to this episode. First of all, let's fork this conversation because I think there's a difference between technology field and security as far as education requirements. I do agree with you in most technology fields, computer technology, there probably is a little bit more of a requirement of higher education than security. I say that, and there's maybe tons of reasons of why security is a little bit different. So I just want to dig into that side of it a little bit. Security is a very nascent industry, much newer than technology in general. So there are theories that at least I have as to why it might be a little bit more well understood or, or accepted that individuals don't necessarily have to have a 
um, higher education degree to come into security. One of the reasons could be that security is much younger. We may, may have missed that window of old school mentality of you have to have a degree, that old school way of thinking, the boomer sort of generation, which I am not a part of, by the way. So yeah, yeah. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> Throughout the generations, I think the mentality is shifting. Also, security industry is one that's short of talent and there's a high inventory of job openings available. So it's not, it's one that has to get creative with where you find this talent. And one of the ways to get creative is to, I don't want to say lower the bar because I don't think that's a right way to describe it because there's many people out there that are not formally educated that can do as good or a better job than people that are. So it's not lowering the bar, but it's changing the requirements because the industry is at such a shortage of talent. So that could be another reason why there is not that much of a requirement for higher education for the security industry. The other thing is you don't find too many college or higher education institutions that offer security programs. There are, there are a lot more now than they used to be, but it's not on par with, and no pun intended because we just did a golf episode, but it's not on par with regular technology. And yeah, it's interesting. And it's interesting why. It's just when you think about it for, for a minute, all of the reasons I gave before, and you think about how people get into security. And I think there's a couple of different roads. There's other technologists, there's developers, those typically navigate their way to security. And then recently you have a lot of people that don't even come from a technology background. There are people that are in like insurance or mm -hmm. medical sales or insert whatever profession into this slot that are saying, hey, let me try my hand at security. This is an interesting field. It's a growing field. It's one where, like I said, because of the shortage of talent, it's one that's, it sets it up for job security. So I think that piques the interest and people get involved. And it's also an industry that you can do a lot on your own learning on your own. You get some computer equipment, you go online, hack the box, try hack me, these mm -hmm. other online services that provide the, the sort of infrastructure and the, and the courses for you so that you can learn on your own. So there's a means to self-teach and that can get your foot in the door more so than other industries out there. So I think there are reasons why and I'm sure there's a bunch of other reasons why security is probably one that doesn't have the requirement of higher education as much as other industries like computer science. But I want to fork the conversation to um, one side of it being just technology and computer science and the other side being security because I think they're different. Yeah, I do agree that they're different. I think that in my particular journey to security, I came at it from a software development aspect. I spent years as a software developer and started being mindful of security patterns and um, ways that I would have to, or my team would have to harden our software and do things in order to meet some of the security principles that 
were laid out by the organization that we both worked for. What I think is interesting about the security, and we're using the word security, and I think that there's a blanket of like different roles and functions in security. So I, I think 15 years ago, when we talked about cybersecurity, you really had a few different, only a handful of people, right? You had your typical like hacker breaker type person where they their responsibility generally is to go and assess the system, sometimes be on a red team and perform like a point by point assessment of if it's secure, run through a whole, basically try to break a product or a piece of software. And then you had like your software security based folks, which were looking into the how software could, needs to be securely developed. And a lot of that is process oriented. If you look at like ITIL and how those kind of standards evolve. The, so from those two things, and, and again, they started, they, they branched out and then you start to get new things as security started to penetrate and be more and more important to the, biz, the, the function of running large businesses. You have IT risk management now which to your point uh, a few minutes ago about how you get folks from other industries, insurance, et cetera, they're risk, risk oriented. A lot of people like that, like they're focusing on risk. And it, when it comes down to it, it's the same, same type of logic behind understanding risk, right? It's just a different medium. Yeah. And I think that's one important as the industry has evolved. And remember this, the information technology industry is, I mean, really, what is it, 35 years old? It's not yeah, like roughly. it's not. So we're still at the beginning or at the beginning, but we're still in the middle of understanding where we're going to go in the next five or 10 years. I think we've started to get on the software development side, having the ability to teach software development, the practical applied skills of building websites at boot camps, at right. firms or like institutions that are not a university at the end of that you get a certificate and in some cases you are on a, a gradient of how good you are compared to someone someone else but ultimately you probably have more actual software development experience than the average college graduate because they don't really develop software they learn the theory behind it right and right. from a security perspective i think the interesting thing is that the first half of professionals have been the applied, right? It's the opposite of what we, what, what software development, they've been the applied and they did not people that were applied. There, there was, there wasn't those fields that you could go into, to your point, you couldn't go to a university 20 years ago, a degree in cybersecurity. I mean, you probably could get it on paper, but it wasn't really teaching you no, I, what I you're learning today. I don't think 20 years ago that cybersecurity degrees existed at universities. I think there were probably some courses that were being offered, but actual degrees, I don't, I'm not no. sure that it was being offered in universities. And even if they were, what you learned was probably 80% computer science. Yeah, ex exactly. Yep. What I think now we're seeing is the penetration of business operations and other things from other areas of risk and financial services. And then now having to fight threat actors in the, all over the world for large companies, there are things that we're learning on the fly. There are new products that come out. There are new, they're just things that we did not have to deal with at the scale that we have to deal with it today. And it's, yeah, 
it's it's funny you you make that point because I was waiting for the moment when you were talking about how you're following up my statement of how young the industry is, and the analogy I can best give is that technology was around so much longer than security, and like you said, it started off the security industry pretty much started off with hackers and very few roles. It's almost as if we've been building the plane while we're flying it. We've been forced to play catch up in the security field as technology continues to evolve. And security has done, I think, an amazing job of catching up. But, you know, that could be another reason why the educational part of the industry, the higher education part, has not yet caught up because of all those factors. You put them all in and you get, a, you get the recipe that we're experiencing today. I don't want to go down a, too much of a tangent, but I have not looked at computer science curriculum since I, I graduated. But I have a feeling, based on the, some of the graduates I've seen, that it really hasn't changed that much in that, the amount of time since I've been out. And it, which means it's still mostly theoretical. Right. My concern is that, again, looking at, there's a lot of college criticisms of schools basically just being d diploma mills and just taking your money and jacking fees up. What are you really getting at? Right. I think over the next 15 years, we're going to see a whole lot more accredited vocational schools or schools that aren't traditional universities. Hopefully, that doesn't turn into what we saw seven or eight years ago of like the whole, that whole industry getting destroyed because they were diploma mills. But I think a lot of firms, I know a lot of firms have internal programs for graduates, incoming cohorts of new hires that the first three months you spend learning about not only software development, because you didn't learn that in school, security, infrastructure what it means to have two to 3,000 colleagues that are working alongside you, like how to take advantage of these things, but how to take advantage of them, of them within the ecosystem of making sure you're not just cowboying everything. Yeah. Do you look at schools like a company Sans? They have a primary focus on technology and security. I think to your point, in 10, 15 years, you're going to find more schools like that are just primarily focused on the security field. It's such a growing industry that I'm surprised there aren't more bigger, well-established schools that are offering or tailoring the majority of their courses and their curriculum on security and technology. I'm really surprised by that. I think universities, to your point, if you look at a computer science curriculum now, I think security is probably interweaved into that curriculum in some way, shape, or form. I hope I don't, it is. I think it is. I don't think there are many programs that offer degrees. And I'm not saying there are not. They, they are not there. I'm sure they're out there. But primarily focusing on security degrees is probably not that many. And it's weird because, as I said before, security is a very, it's a strange industry, right? Small. It's very new. The shortage of talent, that all lends to people trying to find people to fill those role, open roles wherever they can. And I do a lot of work in DNI organizations as well. And 
one of the things that I often speak of is the security industry needs to challenge itself to think outside of the box, challenge itself to look outside of the normal traditional places where we find professionals. What I mean by that is it's mostly a white male driven industry yeah. and there are tons of HBCUs. I do a lot of work with the organization, great organization called Women in Cybersecurity. I'm on the board of another organization, Minorities in Cybersecurity. So there are all these organizations out there trying to lift up these underrepresented classes in the security field. So I think that'd be more effort by the industry to look in the places where they wouldn't traditionally look to find talent because there's talent out there. But with everything, with the industry, the way it is today, are we accepting of individuals that don't have degrees in security because there are not a lot of programs, institutions, higher education institutions that offer it or or higher education institutions not offering it because the industry is set up where, right. you know, people can find jobs without having those degrees. Right. It's, it's a little bit of chicken and egg. Which one is it? It's an interesting debate. I don't know that we'll come up with an answer, but I'd love to hear your take on that. You know, I, I said earlier that majority of people that I've worked with were not a, did not have a college degree. I, I'd like to slightly alter that and, and add that some, a significant portion of the people that I did work with that do have a college degree do not have a college degree in computer science. Yeah. yeah. So that means an engineering field. One of the best front-end developers that I've ever worked with was a political science major. I know people that have done game developments and they went to school for music. In fact, there's a there's an interesting correlation to people that are that are music either practitioners or went to school for music and are in both the security or the computer science field. I think that my view is that over the past 30 or so, 30 years that really the software development slash information technology field has grown, it's grown so fast that we there simply is not enough supply of people that are graduating from these institutions, and more importantly, graduating with actual experience to be able to do the work that's being requested of them. And I think that even a, there's even a smaller subset of those people, new grads, that could be dropped into a, a high-functioning security engineering or infrastructure team. So we're already talking about such a small number of individuals, regardless of the, that might be a function of the how quickly the industry is moving, both security and computer science or software development, or it could be a function of what you said uh, earlier that the universities just don't, they don't know how to respond that fast to curriculum. Because here's the thing, when it all comes down to it, unfortunately, it comes down to money, right? Who's the universities like, why are they going to target computer science or sorry, cybersecurity majors and build a curriculum if the real money is in the computer science graduates, just pumping yeah. them out. Yeah. And you think you're right that the, there are obviously programs that information security or computer, or, or computer security or cybersecurity that exist. I couldn't name one. 
I can't tell you a university that has a great cybersecurity program. I could tell you ones that on paper have a good computer science program. Right. On paper. Right. But I could also tell you that the ones on paper that I would tell you have a great computer science program. I've never worked with a single person that I'd want to continue to work with from those universities. So, yeah, I I don't want to bash them too much because there are, they're, they're great schools, but I think the point here is that the demand is so much higher than the supply. So as hiring managers, we need to go and look for talent elsewhere. And, and a lot of places elsewhere really just means like people that have the uh, capacity to learn, the drive to learn. And they, you know, they're just naturally uh, curious. Yeah. So. One of the things that is sort of, when I think about this, it's kind of fascinating to me just to kind of take it back a little bit to the need for talent in the industry and how individuals are looking at security as an interesting field. And when I say individuals, I'm talking about the individuals that don't come from other technology fields. They just come from completely different fields. They're able to get into security if they show the willingness and the effort. Like I said, there's there are tons of online resources available where you can learn if you're willing to go at it on your own and pick up a couple of books, maybe take a SANS course, or try Acme. I think you can carve out a path for yourself. So the other thing I'd like to talk about a little bit is the high rate of burnout in the security industry. When People look at the industry, they say, wow, security is not going anywhere. There's job security, insecurity, right? <laughs> it's not going anywhere. So well, these people, especially the ones that don't, any higher education background, I'm not talking about the insurance person that went to school, got a mm-hmm. degree, got into insurance and then made their way to security. So one of people that didn't go to college like myself, are these individuals setting themselves up for failure because they're moving into an industry that they can possibly get into without the higher education, but there's such high degree of burnout. There's so many articles that show the number of people that have either left security or planned to leave security in the coming near term because of the burnout rate. So are these people essentially being trapped, not willfully being trapped by the industry, but are they setting themselves up to be trapped by getting into security in an industry where it's very demanding? And it's going to, unless you're cut from that cloth and you can take a high pressure, high stakes, high demand sort of job, how long can you maintain that? If you can't, where do you go after that? So before I tackle my thoughts on the burnout part. Um, I think that anyone that does a uh, tour of duty in a security team, either in oper- security operations or engineering, and those are two different things. I think that the skills that you learn are applicable uh, software development. Hell, they're applicable in manufacturing, right? They're applicable. Like we just talked about how your risk-based analysis or risk-based professionals coming into kind of the security space. I don't believe that you're getting pigeonholed by becoming a security professional and getting burnt out and then realizing 
six, seven, even 10 years down the road, shit, I don't really want to be in this because 10 years ago I was in a different space. I didn't have kids. I didn't have, uh, I didn't have a family. You could absolutely take what you've learned and apply that to a product development organization, going from yeah. a security professional directly into a, Hey, I'm someone that was in the trenches and I know all about security. Now I want to help you build secure software very easily. And you're no longer, you're trading, you're trading a different type of stress. You're not going to be involved with the kind of the incident response and pressure of kind of that part of the job, right? You'd be more in the building a product and having to hit revenue targets part of the job. But going back to burnout, yeah, burnout is real. Burnout's real in really technology, high function technology organizations. It's real in, but it's extremely real in security. And the reason is exactly what we just talked about. Threat actors don't stop. They don't yeah. adhere to the market. The yeah. days that the markets are closed <laughs> and we're all, they don't adhere to you being on eating Thanksgiving dinner with your family. They don't adhere to Christmas. They don't adhere to New Year's. In fact, they use those dates as dates to attack you because they know that you're less likely to be, have your whole team in, sure, in stats, the office. Yeah. yeah. I just had a conversation with somebody at work weeks ago. They asked me about security and how I was enjoying security. And I said, I love it. I'm the type of person that's absolutely wired short. Like I have no plans on retiring just because I can't imagine myself sitting still and not Me having too. that sort of, that drive and the fire and the not knowing when something is going to kick off. That sort of drives me. And that's exactly what security is. You, you never know. It could be a Sunday, a weekend. You could be away on a beach someplace and you get that call and, and depending it's, on your role, you have to respond. It's like a hit of adrenaline. Yeah. I know you're the same way, but it obviously is exhausting. It can yeah. be exhausting, but you get that. That's just high. Like, oh shit, I got to. And then you get into the incident command mode or the, the mode of I'm the person that now is depending on your role. You get slotted into, are you the incident response person? Are you the person coordinating communications? Are you, you know, and it's addicting. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I just thought of something. It just came to me. I'm an introvert. Me too. Right? I, Ironic considering know, what we're doing, but me too. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> Does that adrenaline rush and always having to be turned on. Does that push us deeper into being introverts once we step away from yeah. the desk? For me, totally. I, yeah. So when I have, when I'm involved in an incident, uh, either a security or non-security incident, I give 110% of my focus to that, right? It could be an hour or it could be 72 hours. Right. Or it could be don't two know. weeks. I don't know. But at the end of that, I'm burnt. Regardless of the recovery time depends, right? If it's an hour, whatever. But if it's a longer incident, I'm burnt. But with the family, you know, my family is realized like, hey, when I'm in that mode, I tell my wife, I'm like, hey, listen, like there's an incident. I have to deal with it. She knows she's not happy, especially if it's over a holiday or if there's a family time. But yeah, absolutely. Because the, for a few days afterwards, I'm second guessing everything I did. What did I do? Right. Did I do this right? Did I make the right choice? And that's 
preoccupies my thoughts. So I'm not, even though I'm not in the incident any longer, I'm not present. My family when, uh, so I, I do think it drives me particularly to be more introverted. For me, I, even when there's not an incident going on, there's a certain level of like baseline's higher than most other jobs because you never know when it's going to pop off. Right. So it's almost like if you're you on had edge. a calm, if you had a calm meter, right, that the low end of that meter is higher than most other positions. So then that drains your energy as well. I just, funnily enough, just away at the family on vacation, I had a conversation with my wife about this because my older daughter, very introverted, like she would, she's got a lot better, but she would be around us all the time with AirPods in her ears and just disconnected. And she got really upset about something. She was working on a, a vlog, a long form vlog, and she lost mm-hmm. it because Mac, she ran out of storage space and it just deleted everything. Oh, yeah. So she's really upset about it. And we're online waiting to go into a restaurant and she had her AirPods in and my wife asked her to take the AirPods out. And I said, listen, you got to understand because my wife is not an introvert. I said, you got to understand there are days and you guys, when I say you guys be talking about my wife and my daughters and my immediate family, they're in my inner circle. I, I am completely myself when it comes to them and I feel most comfortable around them. There are days when I come home and even with them, I just have to put on my headphones and I need to disconnect. And it doesn't have to be like during an incident or really sort of busy time at work or anything really crazy going on. It's just days. And I refer to it as running out of people juice. There are days when I run out of people juice and I have to disconnect. And sometimes I put the headphones on. I don't have anything playing that point. It's just my way of signaling yeah, to the signaling. rest of my family. Yeah. Hey, off limits. Yeah. I just need to be the, the noise cancellation, the, the white yeah. noise and the noise cancellation just humming in my ears and I need that disconnect time. So for me, that's sim racing or yeah. gaming in general. Like it's always been one of the, or well, gaming, at least lately. I found that I more lately with my children than being younger than yours, a lot younger, two and two and two and five, that I actually, I'm able to pull myself a little bit out of that funk and play with them. And that gets me, it gets me in the family mood. But yeah, there are days where I don't do the thing with the ear, sorry, the AirPods, but I will go out on my front porch, which is right behind me. And I'll listen to an audiobook or a podcast and just relax. And my wife knows that. Like I, I tell her like, Hey, listen, like it's been a bad day. I just need and she gets in the same, same moods too with her job. We know that with each other, that inner circle, but yeah, I think it's hard when when there are folks that you work with or folks that do not know that about you or about your industry and they they're expecting either a response quickly or they're expecting you to come to a part a birthday party. Yeah. Oh my god. And yeah. you just like I like for me if I had to go from if I'm in that state if I have to go from a, a security response or any type of incident and then go to a birthday party that is literally the worst thing that could happen. Yeah. I, like I would, I would be miserable the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, oh my God. I had a conversation with my daughter this weekend about some, she's in a sorority at her college and she mm-hmm. said, Hey, there's sorority dad's days coming up. And I'm like, what? Now, now listen, I'm a big family guy and I, I support uh, my daughters and anything they do throughout 
younger years, middle school, high school, they played sports and I coached them and I like attended almost every sporting event that they were, they were part of, the concerts, everything. But there are just some things like when she brought up the sorority dads, that's like, oh my God, what am I going to do there? Yeah, but what is, yeah, it it seems like it's almost like. It's a weekend where the the dads for the sorority sisters come out to school. Yeah, so you just go hang out with a bunch of old guys your age and And, like what, drink beer and. Well, I didn't mean to it. I actually didn't. But old, I mean, guys are aged. <laughs> no, but it, it's, it's. I, w- I considered myself. I was thinking of myself when I said that. And no, but what that's, I mean that's, is. That's it. And then that, that's exactly what I said. That's basically her. like a barbecue. I, yeah. I was like, what, you know, what am I going to do? And she was like, you talked to the other dads. And I, listen, but, I know I need to get to a better place. And I know that my response is not where I want to be. But my response was, why would I want to do that? <laughs> like Go people. socialize with like strangers, but. I could just see you of... doing like a beer bong, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Go, 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 go. Yeah, yeah, go. yeah, 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 exactly. I'd, I'd rather do that. Let's pick beer bong so, or something. Yeah. Well, I, I haven't found. So for me, like, I haven't found an easy way to pull myself out of that burnout. Um, like playing with the kids helps a little taking some time, do a walk or going to the backyard or relaxing on the deck, like a little, but for me, time is usually the best way to heal from that kind of situation. Definitely not going to a social, another social where I actually have to be like on turned on. So I'll give you an example. I had an incident, wasn't a security incident, but it doesn't really matter. I, I spent two days basically fixing this, working on fixing this thing. And then I had to go to my daughter's back to school night. (laughs) And I'm just like, what am I going to, I'm going to sit around and talk to the, these other parents about like how our kindergartners are going to like, it's a waste of time. (laughs) I've had a conversation, I've had a conversation with my wife year after year, back to school night. Like, what what, what am I going to do there? I'm just like, talk to the other parents. And I'm like, I know what. Yeah. Wait, your kid's the one that bullied my kid. Right. Right. But especially at the kindergarten age, like they, they literally have been in school at that point. It was like three weeks. Okay. So you're going to tell me what? Yeah. It's a, I, I think the incredible part is that it's a challenge for us, the introverts. But the amazing part, and this is what led me down this road, is that extroverts get their energy from being around right. other people. We are big introverts, but both, both you and I just admitted that we get our energy from the day-to-day unknown in the industry that we're in. We don't know when something is going to pop off. We don't know when there's going to be an outage. We don't know when there's going to be a vulnerability that affects us. That's pretty much the same sort of way that extroverts get their energy from being around other people. We just don't get it from being around other people. We get it from other sort of situations. Like the, we get it less from being around people, more from the industry and the type of work we do. So it, it's weird, right? It's how far apart are not all extroverts, but you and I, because I think to this point, we're wired the same in that respect. So how far are we from extroverts? Are we really that far introverts? Do we, do we straddle the line in the middle 
And our extrovertness doesn't come from other people, but more from the job we get. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, I think you're like this, but for me, I can turn on being an extrovert. Oh, absolutely. As long as I'm not, as long as I'm not in that state of being burnt out. So I, I'll tell you, hold it, on, I'll tell you a funny story. I never mean to cut you off, but we did one of those Meyer, Myers-Briggs right. workshops. And back when, a couple of departments ago, when I met Jeremy and, and yourself and everybody, and we're in this training room and we're doing one part of the exercise where they line everybody up single file. And they asked everyone a question and they answered the question, yes or no. Yes, you step to one side. No, you step to the other side. After about maybe 10 or so questions, whatever side you were on, they said, okay, everyone over to the left. You are introverts. And I was way over to the left. I was further to the left than anybody. And everyone on the team that have, that have known me for two, two and a half years at that point, they were like, wait a minute. No, can't be. You, something is wrong here. You can't be over there. And I said, you guys would be surprised. I'm a big time introvert. I just, I'm a highly functioning introvert. I can, to your point, I can turn it on when I need to. Because to it's our job. My job done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Right. Yeah. It's our job to be that, being able to speak, being able to explain things, working, interfacing with businesses or interfacing with people. That's the job. Yeah, I'm the same way. I remember that particular series of tests that we did. And in particular, I think I remember the one where we had the split. And I also remember the one where there were colored blocks. Yeah. Like how to talk to certain types of personalities. Yeah. I think what's interesting about, at least for me, for me, the end result of turning on that being that introvert is the same as like being after an incident. Like I end up like, when I'm done, I want to go to, if, if I'm home or if I'm at a hotel or if I'm away for work, I just want to go to my room and chill out. I'll do the same stuff that I do after an incident. Listen to an audiobook, play a video game, watch a movie. It's, it just takes a lot of energy. And I yeah. know others that, that are extroverts that if they don't have that, and just to be clear, we're talking about introverts and extroverts, the extrovert person would if they were, if they had a day, their calendar, and it was clear, they wouldn't know what to do with themselves. Yeah. Yeah. They, they lose energy from that. Yeah. For folks that, a lot of folks, they find things to just pull into their life to, to fill those gaps of voids. I don't, I'm not going to diagnose people, but there are signs of, you know, that's like ADHD and the, there are reasons that people do those kind of things. And, but I know enough people that are both introverts and extroverts that, I see the same patterns. Some of those things might be insanely productive. So it might be, or some of those things might just be, hey, go play a couple of rounds of golf or find other things to do with your life. And being an extrovert, you go and do something that is, you're going to, you're going to socialize with other people. Right. Right. Yeah. It's fascinating. We sit here and talk for hours on end on, at least I can, about my experiences with being an introvert and how I navigate that. I, I want to digress and bring it back to the higher education conversation. I started off the episode by mentioning some of the challenges that I've gone through 
And I'd be remiss if I didn't say this because I often get asked by younger individuals just getting done with schools or getting into the industry about getting degrees and getting certification. I've never been a big certification guy. Me either. At all. Never been. I, I think I've gotten one or two certifications throughout my career. But I'm always very careful in the guidance that I give to folks that are asking that question. And the reason I'm super careful is because me as a hiring manager, similar to what you said about looking at the resume and last thing you look at is the education and certain schools that you'll automatically cross off for reasons, for certain reasons. I almost don't even look at the education piece when I'm reviewing resumes. I like to see it's what the people last have done with their careers. Yeah, I like to see what people have done with their careers and get people in. And I love just talking to people because then you're able to get a feel for how that person's wired and try to dissect what drives that person. How is that person personality-wise? Like we discussed in one of the other episodes, you give me someone that's not an expert in their field, but has that drive and that commitment to get better. And I'm probably going to pick that person nine times out of 10 over somebody who's an expert. Mm -hmm. So I'm, because I'm that way as a hiring manager, not everyone is like that. So I'm really careful what advice I give to individuals on getting formally educated and getting certification. But I will say this, in my experience, as I said, when we opened this up, it has been incredibly challenging for me to navigate my own issues in my head with self-confidence, self-esteem, with imposter syndrome, being an introvert, ADHD, go down the whole list. All of those things applied makes it so much more challenging. So if there was one reason I would campaign for individuals maybe getting that formal education, it would be to eliminate that potentially out of your life. And I don't mean it from a sense of you've got to get your sort of security expertise. It's for me in a sort of the well-roundedness and the knowledge that you pick up just going to college mm -hmm. and talking about experiencing other people, experiencing vast different topics being more broadly educated and being able to speak to different topics. That's what I'm referring to. So there's an aspect of it where I still feel that we haven't gotten to a place as a society yet where the amount of people that are not formally educated versus the people that are, like, I think there's still a, a heavy balance. It's still unbalanced and heavily weighted towards the people that are more formally educated. So very similar to the conversation we had in the episode with Jeremy the other day about people that get their news from reliable sources and they're better informed. And I said, how much is that as a, an advantage if you have, if it flips and the majority of people are not getting their news from well-informed sources, right. does it make a difference, right? Apply the same logic here, and I don't think we're even close to being there yet. So I think it's still an uphill climb for people that don't get formally educated in a higher education. I still think there's a path to doing it without getting a higher education. So I'm not 
necessarily advocating for getting higher education and going to college, but I'm saying that there are some, some shortcomings, some hurdles that you have to go through if you don't get it. And there are some benefits to getting it. So I just wanted to point that out before we wrap this thing up. Yeah, I agree with what you said. So I like to point a couple other things. So I, I never, I would never tell anyone to make their choice, um, to go to college based on simply career prospects, right? I think university college, it's an experience and it's an experience for the majority of people that go to college. The experience is to figure out how to learn, figure out how to interact socially with people that are different from a different background from you, mm-hmm. both economically and just general principles, because most people, when they're going to college, they're, they're leaving their, you know, the 15, 20 mile radius of where they grew up. Personally, I think that there, you can draw a lot of parallels to what you did going into the military service. You did the, you went into military service, you expanded your knowledge, you expanded the people that you interacted with, you learned how to operate within an organization. And you're doing all the same things in college. It's just a different, it's a different spin on it. And for the, the guidance that I give people, let's say trying to determine if they want to go to college. The first thing generally I ask is, do you know what you want to do? I knew when I was 11 that I was going to write software. That's what I wanted to do. There are not many people like that, regardless of what the field is. There are not many people that know at that age, what they want to do for the rest of their life. I just, I enjoyed computers so much. I liked writing software for me. That was just, it clicked and, um, yeah, that was it for others. If you don't know what you want to do, going to college for most of those people is it's a safety net in a, in a sense, because you can change your major, you interact with people, you learn how to learn, you learn how to debate, you learn how to, you learn a whole bunch of things that that are not available to most folks in, in lower education. There are extracurricular activities, there are sororities, there are fraternities, there are research opportunities. Most people never get an op. If you're not in college, you never get an opportunity to do research. And I tell everyone that I interact with that, that, that don't think of it as a, like, I need to do that to get those experiences because if, you know, that you want to do a trade. I don't think you actually need to go to college if you know that. So in my situation, I knew what I wanted to do. I don't need to. I could have went to, I could have got, for those four years, I could have gotten a job. And after four years, I probably could have went and got the same job that that I ended up in while I was at college and then eventually to where you and I met. The, the difficult part with that is the litmus test that most HR companies do now where that resume or that LinkedIn page is thrown out because there isn't a higher university or higher education line item there. That is the hardest part to get by in our industry and a lot of others. When I was making before that, I don't think we're there yet. So it's hard to get that. It's hard to get that advice. And then there was something else that, that you mentioned, and I just want to quickly drop this point before we wrap it up because I can't, Jeremy will lambaste me for us going so long and i'm, I'm, I'm always the, i'm always the time cop 
Great movie. You said, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you said going to learning how to learn. So important. Learning how to operate within a system is probably the, if the, the broader sort of sense of that. I had to explain that to my daughter when she started off in school. She struggled through freshman year. And I said, listen, her grades weren't that great. And I said, what are you going to, at this point, what do you do? You have to, the, 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 the biggest part is not that you're not great at math. She wasn't. She was the example I, was, I brought up at the beginning of the podcast. Wasn't great at math. I said, are you ever going to use math? You're probably not, but you have to learn the system and learn how to navigate the system and learn to your point, how to learn. The other big thing that I think is huge in college is building a network. Yes. And that's the beginning of when you build a network. Yes. And I think that is one of the biggest things that most people get out of higher education. I agree. I'm actually not good at that. It's not that I'm not good at I'm very bad at, again, and I think it goes back to the burnout and just being an introvert. It's very difficult for me to continue to foster relationships that outside of the normal, because you know exactly what I'm talking about. You just want to show yeah. off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah, I just real quick, the part about learning how to learn, I think it's twofold. The stress of needing to, to understand the knowledge or for a test or the stress of leading up to curriculum, leading up to an exam. Yeah, that's not the same thing as being in, in an office and working, but it's pretty close. Deadlines, having to work with others in some cases, and ultimately someone grading you. Yeah, I, a lot of people think that you learn that in elementary, intermediate, and high school here in the US. No child left behind. Yeah, you're not really. And no. People get pushed forward because that's the law in some cases that you need to push people forward. And the and even most college students don't understand like that that you don't realize that part of learning until you're later in your career. That hey, I actually that trained me to be in a workforce. The one thing that I'll say, and we can close the episode on this. Uh one of the best things you could do in college, in university, I don't know about the military, I wasn't in it, learn how to game the system. Oh, yeah. If there's something, if you can learn how to game the system, that's the, you're going to need that too. Absolutely, Dave. Absolutely. That's the message I was giving my daughter uh, is learn the system and you got to learn how to game the system. And that's what it's all about. That's life's about. a big game. Yeah. That's why yeah. employers, they, there are so many people that get a degree in a certain field and they get hired to do something else because they want to see that you have the ability to deal with the stress, to navigate the system and come out of it on the good side. Come out of That's it on the good want. side and be right. a productive cog yeah. in the wheel. That's what I mean by come out of it on the good side. Yeah. Come out of it where you're, you've, you've come out of it with good grades because you did well and you come out of it and you're productive. So I think that's a big part of it too. I agree. I think we wrap here. Jeremy, you were missed. There were no violent agreements or disagreements. We failed to fill our quotas there. This is a pretty tame one to Jeremy's standards. He might be a little disappointed that we didn't get any civil discourse. I feel feel like we'll be doing a part two of this conversation. Uh, Yeah. I think there's a lot of things part two wise here. I think burnout in and of itself 
is a whole episode. It's a whole episode. Um, yeah, absolutely. And stress, work stress is yep. a whole separate episode. But I would like for everyone who's listening, think about think about the times that at work where where you were frustrated or you learned you navigated a difficult situation, personal situation, interpersonal situation, or even if it's just a something you're doing at work. And how did that how did that actually what led you to what skills did you learn to actually be able to do that? I'm gonna think about that. And I'd be curious to know what yours are, because we both have different. I went to university, you went or in the military. And I, I bet that how we learned is very similar. Yeah, I don't think it's that far off. But that's a good one for part two. Yeah. We, we talked about that a little part two. And I'm sure Jeremy will listen to this and find part two. Yeah, he'll, he'll yeah. send some comments. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with you, Ozzy. I wish I could disagree with you, but... I, yeah, I, I'd like to disagree with you. I finally agree with you, though, John. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is good, man. This is fun. Cut it. That wraps it up for this episode of the Surprise Multiplayer Podcast. As always, we thank you for listening and hope that you'll join us again soon. As a reminder, any feedback, suggestions, or questions can be sent to banterreviewcrew at surprisemultiplayer.com. Until next time, keep exploring and stay curious.